Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by community pastor Ted Canaris as we continue the series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. I want to begin today by playing a little game called Would You Rather? Here is how this is going to work. I want to show you two pictures, and you'll simply identify which one you want. Make sense? Okay, great. Let's start with this first one. Would you rather have this be your kitchen? Okay. Or would you rather have this? I think it's probably pretty unanimous on that one, right? Let's try another one. Would you rather your schedule look like this or like this? Anyone's stress level increased just by looking at that calendar? I mean, except for this part right here. I mean, my blood started to rise all the way to the top. Now, I know it might come as a shock to you, but I had a pretty strong hunch about which pictures we would all rather have when we put this together. The reality is that when we're faced with a choice between a life filled with busyness and crowds and clutter or a life of peace and connection and simplicity, it really doesn't seem like much of a choice at all. Of course, we would rather have a life filled with peace and connection and simplicity. But the problem is that there's often just a disconnect between what we desire and our daily habits. Why is it that when we'd rather have a simple schedule, that we fill ourselves with tons of activities, more and more and more things to do? Why is it that when we'd rather have homes and lives that are uncluttered by meaningless and distracting stuff, do we keep accumulating more and more. Well, I think it's because we have an accumulating problem with accumulation. It's a problem that is slowly sucking the life out of all of us. We're in week three of our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, based on the book by John Mark Comer by the same name. Now, most of us live with what has been called hurry sickness, which leaves us with a sense of always striving, but never actually arriving. And this frenetic, fast-paced way of life cuts off our connection between God, cuts off our connection to each other, and it even cuts off our connection to our own souls. And Jesus, well, he invites us into a better way to live when he says this, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That is why during this series, we're encouraging one another to adopt a rule of life, a rule of life that will help us live into the rest that Jesus offers us. Now, a rule of life is like a schedule or a set of practices that helps you slow down and avoid getting sucked into the hurry of life. Today, we're going to talk about a practice that can help us break our unhealthy relationship with stuff. It's called simplicity. Take a look at this guy's story. Paper. Pretty simple concept. Trees make wood. Wood makes paper. Simple. So why do we have to take something so simple and make it so complicated? When the lockdown started, I felt like it was a great opportunity to really slow down and and simplify. Uh, I felt like this was my chance. I'm excited. Think about it. We got newspaper, tissue paper, wrapping paper, sandpaper, toilet paper, 
paper plates, paper towels, paper cups, paper dowels. Where does it end? Why can't we just have one kind of paper? I think we can cut out all of the fringe kinds of paper, the ones that we really don't need, and just use one kind of paper for everything. I can usually get two filters out of one standard size eight and a half by 11 piece of copy paper. Just need a little piece of tape to close it at the bottom for some added flavor. It tastes just as good. Sure, I've heard about other ways people simplify their lives. I was big on the tiny house movement early on. Then I realized that smaller didn't necessarily mean simpler. And it was uh, pretty cold living in a storage unit, especially in the winter. We've even talked about doing some redecorating. Don't touch the wallpaper. And would you please go to Costco and get some good old-fashioned charming, for goodness sake? Yeah, so that didn't last long. She said she doesn't like the taste of the coffee. I'm sure we'll find other ways to simplify. I mean, the idea looked good on paper. Okay, let me just assure you that that's not what we're talking about when it comes to the practice of simplicity. Do not try that at home. But this real practice of simplicity doesn't come easy for most of us either. In fact, author, pastor, famous theologian Thomas Aquinas once said, what would it take to satisfy the human desire? Everything. Everything. And so off we go, accumulating more and more. But the reality is that our insatiable desire for more actually leaves us with less, less of what we really want. In fact, did you know that a 1967 Senate study predicted that by 1985, the average American would be working only 22 hours a week for 27 weeks a year? Everybody thought the main problem in the future would be too much leisure time. Now, unfortunately, the exact opposite has happened. Rather than letting all the modern conveniences enable us to work less, they've piqued our desire for more and more of them. It's time that we face the facts. Accumulating more and more cool stuff has not given us the freedom or the fullness that it promised. Author Alan Falding once said, the drive to possess is an engine for hurry. Our personal and collective desires for more, steals the very things we're hoping that more would give us. Now, most of us have too much stuff to enjoy a healthy and unhurried pace. We have to work longer and harder to afford more and more. We're addicted to accumulating and possessing. And what's the result of our unhealthy relationship with stuff? More stress, more clutter, more hurry, less meaning, less connection, less joy. But the good news, the good news is that Jesus says that there is a better way. In Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story that is often referred to as the parable of the rich fool. Let's pick things up in verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out. 
Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And then he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. First, let me be clear on what Jesus is not saying. Jesus is not saying there is anything inherently wrong with possessions or savings. Both of those things are good. And he's not accusing this man of acquiring his abundance illicitly either. There is no bribery, there is no theft, there is no mistreatment of workers or any other shady or criminal activity. See, Jesus isn't telling us a story of an unjust man, but he just says it's a story of a foolish man. So, what makes him foolish? This story is a story about the folly of a life solely focused on building bigger barns. To put it bluntly, Jesus is saying that selfish greed equals foolishness. This man thinks only of himself, and he lives completely for himself. He talks to himself. He plans for himself. He even congratulates himself. And his sudden death proves him to have lived as a fool who has been caught in the trap of greed. Jesus knows the lies and the allure of greed, so he begins the story by issuing a really strong warning. Remember what he says? He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not exist in an abundance of possessions. The original Greek of this phrase here, the warning, be on guard, is in the present imperative, which means Jesus is imploring us to stay in a state of constant vigilance against greed. He's saying we can't let our guard down. He's saying that the pull of greed is constant, and so our defenses need to be just as constant. And why the constant vigilance? Because greed promises us rest and peace, but it will only ever deliver more hurry, more worry, and more anxiety. The New Testament is filled with warnings against greed. Just here are some of those references. Anything talked about this much and more is something that we ought to pay attention to, and we really ignore it at our own peril. Now, <laughs> I know none of us want to accept the label of greedy. We tend to only think that other people can be greedy. I mean, not me. I'm not greedy. Certainly not. We kind of protest it in a sense of denial. But we need to face the reality that our problem with accumulation and our obsession for more and more is actually an expression of greed. I mean, I know it's kind of a silly example, but I look in my own closet and I mean, how many pairs of shoes do I need? How many black jackets do I really need? How many shirts do I really need? I see the new thing and I want to get it and I get it and I just pursue more and more and more. 
I mean, it's, it's hard to live in our culture and not be tempted towards greed. And we have to face the reality that greed is not safe. It's not a friend, but a foe. Greed is a destructive force in our lives. Jesus says that our greed reflects a lack of trust in God, a lack of interest in his kingdom, a lack of generosity towards those in need. Ultimately, what we're talking about here, it's a heart issue. What is the heart behind our pursuit of more? If we're honest, many of us have deeply rooted desires. Many of them are desires for good things. But can our actual desires ever be satisfied with anything this world has to offer? Jesus' parable begs the question, what is behind my pursuit of more? What is it that I really want? Simply more stuff or, or am I trying to get something else? When we can be ruthlessly honest about our desires and our pursuits, we can reflect on what's behind our drive to accumulate more. And we can ask the question, do I own my stuff or does my stuff own me? If you grew up in America or have spent much time here, it's quite possible that you have been discipled in the American dream, the gospel of materialism. Most of us, most of us have been deeply influenced by this message and we may not even realize it. You know, we have this idealized version of success, the good life, right? The American dream, you know, the house with the white picket fence, the good salary, two and a half kids and a dog. And while that picture is great, the problem is that we carry with that picture the not-so-subtle belief that this accumulation of things, the house, the fence, the stuff, is the thing that's going to finally make us feel satisfied. And if we're not careful, if we don't stay on guard in constant vigilance, we can prioritize keeping up with the Joneses over following the ways of Jesus. Now, no offense if your name happens to be Jones, so what is Jesus' answer to our problem of accumulation? Well, he calls us to attach our hearts to something else altogether. He invites us into his kingdom vision. And he does that when he says this. He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Seek first his kingdom, not our kingdoms built of wealth and status or just more and more stuff. If we seek his kingdom first, we'll have what we're really longing for. We'll find our deepest desires in Jesus and in his kingdom. <laughs> and I just got to be honest with you. I am not immune to any of this. I have struggled to follow Jesus's view on accumulation and greed. As I shared before, I find myself thinking about the next thing I want to get, daydreaming about the next thing that I think is going to fill me up or satisfy my longings. But you know what? It never does. But I still fall into that trap again and again and again. I struggle with this often. And I think maybe you do as well. But again, it's important that we look at what's behind our desire to accumulate. No matter how ugly or uncomfortable it may be. For example, could our persistent accumulation be revealing a lack of belief in the gospel of the kingdom that Jesus offers us? 
Could it be exposing that we have a lack of trust in the good news that the life you and I have actually always wanted and everything we'll ever need is fully available to us right now, right where we are through Jesus? The simple truth is when our stuff owns us, when we fall victim to selfishness and greed, we get a distracted mind, an overfilled calendar, and ultimately a divided heart. On the other hand, when we live in proper relationship to our stuff, when we live for God and for others, when we live for his kingdom, we get simplicity, we get inward richness, we get a life of fullness, the life that we're actually seeking. The good news for us is that because of what Jesus has already done for you and already given to you, nothing, not your income level, not your stage of life, your health, your relational status, your age of your car, the size of your house, nothing is standing between you and living the life that is truly life right now. Again, ultimately, what we're talking about here is a heart issue, not just a stuff issue. The struggle is real and we need to stay on guard against the constant pull of greed. And often the best place to start is to do some personal reflection. So let's take a few minutes right now and do a bit of a spiritual inventory. I wanna invite you to close your eyes, relax right now, and I wanna ask you a series of questions. And I want you to just quietly reflect on them. This time is between you and God. You ready? Okay, here we go. What are the messages or definitions of success that I've taken on? How did my family of origin shape my relationship to money and possessions? If I look at my bank statement and my calendar, how do I prioritize my time and my money? How do I know if I own my possessions or if they own me? What sort of emotional attachments do I have to my things? Do I recognize how marketing and media stir my desire for more, bigger, better? Does my current reality suggest that I value pursuing more stress, more clutter, more hurry, or more joy, more connection, more meaning?
I want to encourage you to pay attention to anything God, through His Spirit, brought to mind during this time of reflection. And I want you to know that there is a practice that can help us break our unhealthy relationship with stuff. It's called simplicity. Simplicity isn't directly named in Scripture, but it's woven into the fabric of the kingdom of God. Seek first His kingdom and all the kingdom things and the day-to-day necessities will be given to you. That is simplicity, the heart and mind that will lead to simplicity of life. And the practice of simplicity can help us be an apprentice in the way of Jesus. Some call this spiritual practice simple living or minimalism, but I don't mean minimalism as a design aesthetic. I mean simplicity as not finding your meaning or your worth in the abundance of our possessions. Perhaps owning less and pursuing God's kingdom more. Author Richard Foster says, simplicity is an inward reality seen in an outward lifestyle. Simplicity isn't about living with nothing. It's about living with less. It's not about less joy. It's about more freedom. The goal isn't to declutter your closets. The goal is to declutter your life. Sometimes we need to think our way into new way of living. Sometimes we need to feel our way there, but sometimes we need to act our way into a new way of living. So let's get super practical about how we can practice simplicity together in our lives. We want to share two ideas with you today. First, Consider a purchase pause, or what some might call a shopping fast. I came across an article in the New York Times about a woman named Elizabeth Chai who decided she would not buy anything in 2020, with the exception of food, coffee, toiletries, and the occasional service like a haircut. She resisted the urge to add to her wardrobe or to buy anything material for her home. She fixed things that were broken or borrowed them instead of purchasing new ones. And at the end of 2020, she did not regret her decision one bit because she was so much more deliberate in how she used her money. She was able to help friends in need and donate to causes that she cares about. And the experience was so enriching. She said she was thinking about extending her purchase pause into 2021. How might a purchase pause of a month or, or three months or even a whole year help you move towards simplicity? The second idea that can help us practice simplicity is a possession purge. Miss Jai also decided to get rid of 2,020 items in her home in 2020. And by the end of the year, she felt the freedom saying, I'm looking around and everything is something I want to be in here. A possession purge could be getting rid of 30 items in 30 days or Some recommend going slowly through each room of your house and maybe making like three piles, a donate, a throwaway, and a hold for later pile. And that hold for later pile, that's for all the stuff you can't decide on, right? You set aside that pile and you see if you miss those items after 60 days. Now, wouldn't it be interesting to see how an exercise like this might change how you view or even interact with your stuff? To recap, Simplicity isn't about living with nothing. It's about living with less. It's not about less joy. It's about more freedom. The goal isn't to declutter our closets. The goal is to declutter your life. And these exercises might be just what you need to reevaluate your relationship with your stuff. If we want to submit our ways towards the apprenticeship 
to Jesus. It means taking his words about our possessions and our money and our stuff seriously. Again, the life Jesus offers his followers is not going to be found in materialism. It's found in living out the gospel of God's kingdom. Jesus knew this. That's why he warned us. Life does not exist in an abundance of possessions. He taught us that the most important things in life are not found in our closet. They're not found in our garage. They're not found in our portfolio. Author Joshua Becker says it this way. He says, at its core, simplicity or being a minimalist means intentionally promoting the things we, are most, we most value and removing everything that distracts us from it. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. I can picture Jesus standing before us and asking us, would you rather? Would you rather have more work or more time? Would you rather have more hustle or more connection? Would you rather have more stuff or more meaning? Let's live as if life truly does not consist of an abundance of possessions. Let's declutter our hearts and seek first his kingdom of love. 